Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 213 and this episode is with Scott Wickens. Scott is the lead sports scientist at Yeovil Town. He's also a member of our online community, so it was great to catch up with Scott. He spoke about some of the main responsibilities in his role at Yeovil. Also, how he adapts to challenges across the season which he went into some fixture challenges in that league as well, in National League. He spoke about honing information f- uh, from stakeholders as well, which is a great part of the podcast. So I, t- I think you'll take a lot from that section of the podcast. He also then touched on one skill that he feels is most important in his role and also dealing with the deep end, the deep end of first-team football. Scott is a super, super young practitioner that he's adapting constantly to the challenges being being put at him in his role, um, but doing some great work at Yeovil as well. He's only 23, working in the first team at Yeovil, so there's plenty of lessons to be taken from Scott, and thank it, thanks a lot to him for coming on the podcast as well and sharing a lot of things that he shared on the podcast. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Just before we get to it, We are in the process now of confirming some of our networking events for 2023, especially the first quarter of 2023. So if you're interested in hosting an event or speaking at an event, please drop us a message on social media at FootballFitFed or you can go and send us an email, mail at FootballFitFed.com because we will be looking to confirm the first few events for next year within the next couple of weeks. So... Also, just keep an eye out for tickets because there will be some available very soon. Just going to say a huge thank you to our sponsors as well. First up, Hydro Training. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction for recovery? Hydro develops the world's first BFR wearable, unlocking the recovery benefits of BFR to support athletes. BFR is no longer just for one-to-one physio or rehab. Hytro allows teams to use this safe and scalable sports BFR device post-exercise to dramatically enhance recovery. So whether you're in the change room post-game, during the away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously, safely and more conveniently than ever before. So you can go and check them out for more information hytro.com that's h-y-t-r-o.com or drop warren an email at warren at hytro.com that's uh, warren spelled w-a-r-r-e-n to find out how hytro bfr can give your athletes a competitive edge also a huge thank you to rezl as well rezl have got some incredible work going on at the moment and speaking to the guys over there there's some amazing stuff coming very soon as well. So big thank you to both Hydro and Rezzle for sponsoring this episode. And let's get into episode 213 with Scott Wickens. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Harder, stronger, smarter. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. 
Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 213. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Scott Wickens. Scott is the lead sports scientist at Yeovil Town. Scott, thanks for coming on the podcast. All right, mate, you good? I'm all good, mate. I'm all good. Thanks for giving up a bit of time and coming on. I know you got a bit of a later start today, so you've got up early, got in there, and uh, you gave us some of your time, so I appreciate it. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. Yeah, got to do it. <laughs> Top man. Well, Scott, you've I think you've listened to a few of these before, so you probably know the sort of uh, structure of them all probably better than me. But can you just take us back through your career so far? I've just mentioned your role at Yeovil, but just give us a little bit of background on yourself, mate. Yeah, it's not it's not a long one. I'm only well, I'm 23 next week, so I'm not yeah I'm not the oldest. Um, normal growing up, yeah, I went to school. Uh, I played for Torquay Academy till I was 14. Uh, they got relegated out of League Two, down to the National League, and as it went down and down, uh, the academy shut. Yeah, cost saving that, that happened. I was only fourteen, type thing. Uh, a couple of the coaches went over to Plymouth Argyle, which is where I'm from, from Plymouth. Um, they took me over with them, so I was there till I was about sixteen. Didn't make the cut. Probably wasn't good enough looking back on it. It was good at the time, but probably wasn't going to be good enough. Um, my age group was a good age group. That's so all we had. A couple of lads still playing for the first team there now. So yeah, it was a good, good schooling. Uh, left that, went back to school, sixth form type thing, normal route, then go back into football. Um, played men's football, local, yeah, step five sort of thing. Um, then went to uni, Cardiff Met. I went to, did a degree, yeah, sport and exercise science, as, as most of us do. Um, did that and really enjoyed it. Hit by COVID, middle of my second year. So it was kind of, yeah, living at home, I was living with my missus, I was doing this, that and the other. Uh, I was all over the shop, really. Uh, Wales was a bit of a different lockdown procedure. So kind of coming home was different rules. So I was going back to back to Wales. Um, but yeah, really, really enjoyed it. The football setup there, as I'm sure a few people that have been there and heard of it know. Really, really good setup. Welsh Prem, uh, Bucks Ones type thing. Good uni experience. Never really broke into the team. Um, it's kind of in Bucks One squads and stuff, but I never really, never really got into it. Um, left. And then I think I graduated in May. Started here in the July, started pre-season last year. And um, yeah. I'm sure we'll go into it, but chucked into the deep end type thing. Uh, so yeah, I've never had a, never did an academy role, and nothing like that straight into first team football, um, which I think has helped me in good stead. Which I've, I've, yeah, I've really, really, really enjoyed it here. It's been brilliant. Yeah. Again, we'll go into it. I've had a few staff members, but yeah, everything's been been brilliant with me. So yeah, really enjoying it. Brilliant. And just touch on it, Scott, because obviously it's an area of the country where, like, me being from the northwest, we're surrounded by clubs. In a small area, you've got all all sorts of clubs at all different levels. Down there, you haven't really, have you? They're much more, much more spread out, and there's not as many options. So, what was the sort of thought process around that? Was it I'm just going to have to take what I can get, or I'm just going to really work hard at getting in a club local to me? So, there was no real pathway when I was in my second year, third year, thinking oh, I'll do an internship here and then I'll promote and get get up and up and up sort of thing. Because obviously, COVID, we didn't we didn't really have that internship structure in the third year or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of a, the overall job coming up. I applied. There wasn't a lot of applicants, if I'm honest, because of where it is. Like you say, there's not a lot of clubs around here. So the jobs are either already filled or there's not a lot of people that want them. Um, but obviously, yeah, being from Plymouth, it's, it's an hour and a half from me um, mm-hmm. being up here. So it's not it's not too bad at commute or anything like that. So yeah, I saw it applied. I did a couple of interviews with, with the manager at the time and um, come in, did a couple of sessions over the summer break, a couple of hours come back from injury, trying to get ready for pre-season. So it's nice to come in and kind of have one-to-ones as an interview process type thing. Um, 
so yeah yeah like i said really enjoyed it and obviously when when the chance come up it's not one that i was going to turn down and just a bit of context in terms of the the level that Yeovil are playing at currently if there's anyone that's either not from the uk or not aware of the the sort of league that they're in where are they at the moment so we're in the national league um just the fifth tier of english football um you're in teams with yeah wrexham Notts counties there's a few few big boys around here um mm. but then not too long ago Yeovil were a big boy in the champ so it's not as if we're a million miles away in terms of we've never been up there. We never know what it's been like. The club still, the fans still expect stuff. Um, the staff that have been here throughout, the kit man still been here since the championship days. So it's still a good a good aspect of where the club can be because it is a big club. And like you say, we're the only professional club in Somerset. So it's a big area. It's a big draw. There's not a lot of clubs down here. So if you can get players down there, it's a good level to be at. Because it's a surprising bit as well, because like you mentioned, the club previously being in, in a league like Championship and the other leagues along the way as well, that when a job comes up, even though the club are National League now, obviously setting the sights, I'm guessing, on getting back up the leagues, like you, you'd imagine to be, with, with the amount of applicants going into different jobs, regardless of where it is in the country, you'd think there'd be a lot going for these opportunities as well, wouldn't you? Yeah, so I kind of... I always joke around and say I fell on my feet coming here. Um, I think with COVID and with people coming out of university my sort of age or 21, 22 at the time, no one had done the internships, no one had done stuff unless it was off your own back in sort of private gyms or anything like that. Because I know when I was applying for clubs, they weren't looking. Or maybe that was because I wasn't good enough at the time, but they weren't really getting back to me or looking or saying it's we can't have people in that we don't really know and stuff like that. Um, so I think when the job come up, it's kind of it wasn't advertised massively as far as I'm aware kind of saw it on Twitter. Um, I knew a couple of guys from uni that had been here when the academy was open, sort of analysts and coaches and stuff like that. And they said, look, it's, it's worth going for it, sort of speaking around to them. Um, we had a couple of lads help us out last year, come back from the academy and obviously academy shirt, COVID happened, they've come back and helped out. Um, so yeah, it's like I say, it's a really, really good club. Um, just, yeah, got to find its way again. 100%. I want to get into your role, Scott. So can you give us a little bit of an insight into some of the main responsibilities and roles that you have as, as lead sports scientist? So, yeah, lead sports scientist, I'm the only one. Um, it's a one-man one department at the minute. Um, when I first came in, there wasn't a sports science department before me. It was kind of a, I got given a free reign to kind of set my own department up and see how I wanted to do it. Um essentially it's any time they aren't on the ball but they're at the club so it's gym hydration nutrition recovery anything like that if they're not on the grass after the warm-up <laughs> everything up to that point is is surrounded by yeah your GP, um, gps stats you everything loading we kind of look at how we can get the most out of the players in the time we've got when they're not on the ball so yeah nutrition hydration yeah <laughs> there's, there's a lot of hats <laughs> There's also a lot of unofficial hats as well, isn't it, that you'll be wearing yeah, along the yeah, way. We won't touch on them in this episode, but, but anyone in a similar sort of role will get, get the idea. Um, you just talked about going into the role and then not previously being a sports science support in place. So what was the approach to that? So what was the sort of big rocks who you were like, right, I've got to have X, Y and Z in place as soon as possible to try and support the players? Yeah, so it's kind of a... My MO was was a high injury rate the year before. Um, so it was how can we get the players as available as possible for as, as many minutes as possible for as long as possible throughout the season. Um, they, they kind of sporadically wore GPS, but it was kind of the physio at the time was doing it. He wasn't 
as well equipped to deal with that. So he was doing his physio work and he was kind of doing 15 jobs at once type thing. So the GPS was, yeah, sporadic and kind of loading management and stuff was kind of get, not guessed, but it was, it wasn't backed up by anything. So kind of right, we just got to find GPS. <laughs> I know people have varying views on that coaches and stuff, but it's a tool to use. So we might as well use it and it doesn't dictate every single aspect of day to day, but it's a good tool to have. Um, so we went and got GPS in. We went and put a good sort of strength program in place. Um, and just on that, Scott, could, was, there, was there nothing in place in terms of strength training beforehand? Was that um, from bare bones or? Yeah, it was kind of a, the, the lads didn't come to me with this was my plan from last year. It was a, oh, I kind of go to the gym on like a Tuesday and Thursday if we haven't got a Tuesday game and I'll do a bit of legs on the Tuesday, a bit of effort on Thursday. And it was, yeah. Again, it was being on my own. I couldn't individualize it as much as I wanted to straight away. Um, it was kind of bucketing, as a lot of a lot of sports scientists do, a lot of SD coaches do. Kind of bucket the players into what they need, adding in a few new exercises that they hadn't really done before. But I I like um, trap bar deads and stuff. And we got really lucky, managed to get a partnership with uh, the Nuffield Gym, which is only ten minutes from the ground, so we can book that out and use that and get a proper squad size gym session in place a couple of times a week um the manager at the time really big on gym he's just he's like the snc coach he wasn't taking it and there's no one to really lead that um so just kind of come in get your loading management get your get your snc as right as we can get it in the first couple of weeks um and then it just built from there kind of conversations of with a few senior boys with a couple of niggling injuries kind of over the years they might not be able to play Saturday and Tuesday. National League, for those who don't know, sometimes a Saturday, Monday, which is kind of a, a quick turnaround, which is which is a headache for a lot of people. I think the first, my first two games were Saturday, Monday. Um, we played here at Kingsley on Saturday, and then we were up at Old Shot on the Monday, and I was like, what the hell do we do on Sunday? <laughs> it was kind of a, that is proper defence stuff. And it was, um, yeah, it was just getting in kind of the basics of a, of a sports science, an S&C programme of when we've got a chance to do stuff and maximise an opportunity when we do have it how do we do that and yeah getting the lads down the gym and getting recovery strategies in place pulse sauna and everything like that they hadn't really had before I think it, well, if you go back and look at the date so we had less injuries last year than we did the year before it came in so I'd like to think it worked yeah I was just about to say that like how long did it take for you to start seeing impact um, obviously you're not going to know across a full season until you've done a full season are you but yeah. even feedback from the lads was there anything short term where the lads were sort of saying that they enjoyed this, they didn't enjoy this, because it can be pretty brutal sometimes, can't they? Yeah, yeah, it was kind of, <laughs> it was a bit of a, an overhaul as well. So a few of the boys from the year before I came in and retired, and it was a very big senior squad the year before I came in. Um, a couple of younger lads are a bit more manipulative. <laughs> you can kind yeah. of, yeah, they'll kind of sneak off into the corners and stuff. But once you get a few boys buying in and it's working, I think our captain had played double the amount of games last year than he did the year before. So when your captain's out there for, twice the amount of time, automatically people start going, oh, something's happening, something's going going right sort of thing. Um, we had a couple of big injuries really early on in pre-season. Uh, I think we had a grade three hamstring, just, yeah, just one of them. Can't really, looking back at the data and everything beforehand, there was nothing we could have really done to not predict it, but it'd come out of the blue. Um, we had a broken foot when it was kind of, that was a four-month job. It was kind of a, on two key players at the time, um, which is a bit of a, an, Again, deep end, it was kind of, how do they do that straight away? We lost, lost our star striker type thing and our, our starting right back. So it's kind of a, how do we then manage other people around that? Because people you weren't expecting to get many minutes towards the end of pre-season 
suddenly are playing nineties and starting the season and going on games of four, five, six in in the first couple of weeks. So it was yeah, it was a good learning curve straight away. So you just brought up a couple of key because we're going to talk about some challenges that you face in your role. A couple of key ones are obviously fixtures and the the timing of fixtures as well in the league, um, and then also injuries and 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 player availability. So what was initially that with the fixtures, like with this demand of fixtures, which is crazier than ever at the moment, um, leading into the World Cup for a lot of people, but just generally in a lot of other leagues, the, the fixtures are a bit crazy, a bit of a backlash of COVID and all the rest of it. Yeah. What's your thought process or e- even how is, how have things developed with your mindset around dealing with these demands of the games that, that are coming at less um, ideal times? So I think... The players probably won't agree with me, but last year I was a bit sort of modest with my lads that hadn't played or come on for half an hour. I was kind of a bit modest with, let's wrap them up in bubble wrap because they might be needed next week, they might be needed on Monday, they might be needed on Tuesday. I kind of didn't progress them as much as I probably could have at the time looking back. So your runs were a little bit more, like I say, modest because you think, well, I don't want to burn them out on the Saturday after the game if they just played half an hour. You'd probably get another rep out of them, probably get another... 1500 meters out of them after in your runs type thing yeah um but then like you say as, as you get time off over the summer you're coming into this season um you can kind of know that they can deal with a lot more than, than you kind of assume um so your distance can be a bit higher you can work them a little bit harder we started taking uh I spoke to a few people over the summer we started taking gym equipment away for away days and home games and stuff so if you don't play it's a chance to run and get a, a look, proper loading session in as well um because, like you say, with the fixtures coming thick and fast, although squad sizes are different to those in the Premier League type thing, you have to rotate at some point. Players are going to have to play, so they need to be ready. And in order to get them ready, we can't wrap them up and bubble wrap. They have to load, they have to run, they have to be ready to perform in a couple of days' time if they need to. And it could be the morning of the game, if you play on Saturday, Monday, the morning of the game, the squad changes from the night before because people haven't recovered properly or they woke up with this and it'll niggle or whatever and all of a sudden you're in chucked in the defense, I keep saying it, but yeah. playing nine minutes and you have to be ready. So you can kind of, I've started to push your boundaries a little bit more and it seems to be working in terms of player load and, and how our muscle injuries and stuff like that for lads that haven't played and coming in seems to be working, I don't think. And with that strength emphasis on a, on a game day for players that haven't played as many minutes, what was the initial reaction to players, but also coaches as well? Because for some that can probably appear scary without the education can it yeah so i spoke to we had a, a couple of lads coming from bournemouth over the summer um players wise and they they load after games there so they were kind of bought into it straight away yeah um fortunately for me maybe not for them they weren't involved in squads as much as they probably liked to be yeah. um so they were the ones that were doing it straight off the bat so it was quite nice to it was kind of a contingency plan for them that they already had, know they had to do it so they were doing it anyway um, and when you saw results when they started playing games, um, I think the staff kind of bought into it as well. But yeah, like I say, the staff are brilliant with me, anything like that. They kind of buy in and say, as long as I can justify it, they're more than happy to let it happen type thing. Um, so we, kind of, we don't take much. We take a couple of 20 kg, uh, kg plates. Kind of, uh, We've got a sandbag. I think it's 25, 30 kilos of sandbag. Um, but yeah, we can do Bulgarians. We can do yeah, loaded jumps, everything like that. It's, good. Yeah, it's a nice way to get sort of the different exposure in. Um, rather than just running a straight line on a, on a Saturday afternoon. So did those players coming in, having that experience, and especially being at, I'm guessing they were Premier League at that point as well, coming from Bournemouth, 
Um, did that make it a little bit easier for you to push the the reasoning, the education to the rest of the players? Yeah, definitely. Yes, we're, we're lucky we got a gym, a gym at the stadium as well. Um, so home games, I think, yeah, one of them was going in there off his own bat anyway, sort of pre-season games he loaded and afterwards just because that was his routine. Yeah. Um, and he's in he's in good condition. He kind of he, yeah he hits good scores. He's strong. So the lads are kind of buying into it when they see. Yeah, we keep talking about buying. Everyone talks about buying. When you see other players doing it and getting results out of it, you start to get a little group doing it, and then the group gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, so I think because they were kind of expecting it and they were in that routine anyway. Once two or three jump on the bandwagon, <laughs> gets a bit bigger. It's what Damon Hughes refers to as cultural architects, isn't it? And I've heard, yeah. uh, I think it was Phil Neville talked about it when he went to Everton, that he mm. started doing his extra gym work and it was very strange for the majority of the squad, but then gradually he just got more and more doing it. By the end of it, everyone was doing it. And it's just, it does just take those few, doesn't it, just to get the ball rolling a little bit and then it can have a yeah. knock-on effect. Yeah, it's always good when you see, see results as well. So it's not as if like they're yeah. doing it on the Saturday and then they get chucked in on the Tuesday and they get injured. Because players automatically think, well, they did gym on Saturday. That's why I keep saying to them, you you train on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So there's no difference from doing it Saturday to Tuesday type thing. It's just a different day in your head. But you see Saturday as a game day. If you haven't played, it's not a game day for you. It's another training day, essentially. So it's another day to get another load in, prep for the Tuesday. Because then all of a sudden it becomes match day minus three, match day minus two, whatever it is. It's just a different format for you. Just because you see Saturday as a match day. If you haven't played, yeah. it's not a match. It's not a match day. It's yeah, another training yeah, yeah. day. Yeah, 100%. That's a good way of framing it, isn't it, for players? We've seen a number of different sign-ups on our online community recently from a huge um, amount of different clubs. Blackpool, West Brom, Stockport, Crystal Palace, Motherwell, Celtic, the Irish FA, the Swedish FA, just a few practitioners that have signed up recently to the community. There's so much content on there now, presentations from our networking events that are held right across the UK, so if you can't make it to the events, you can still access the presentations by being a community member. So go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab there, sign up and that'll give you a free month on the community so you can check it out, see what it's all about. After that free month, it's only £4.99 going forward. You also get access to our members WhatsApp group where there's some great discussions going down between our members and also a few job opportunities that come up every time, every now and again as well. So go and check it out. If you've not already claimed a free month, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign yourself up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Lee Spot Scientist at Yeovil Town, Scott Wickens. Scott, you just mentioned 23 in a first team environment. You're going to be coming across conversations with some uh, other directors at the club and other people working for the club that you obviously have to know how to speak to people and how to how to talk their language. It's, we speak about it a lot, don't we, on the podcast. How have you found that? How have you found that um, those conversations? Have you found that you've learned any big lessons along the way from that sort of thing as well? So the first manager I had here um, had previously been head of academy at Watford. So kind of, I always say it, and I was saying it to him at the time, my first conversations with managers was his 500 conversation with sports scientists. Yeah. So he's been there, done it. He's had the conversation, he's had the arguments, he's had the, the debates. And my first one was his yeah, 500th one or whatever it was. Um, so he was very, very good for me straight off the bat. So he said, yeah, this is your, it's your prerogative. You go and set up the department as you want it. If I don't like it, I'll say. But 
I'm not going to tell you what to do because that's why I've hired you. I'm not. If I wanted to be a sports scientist, I'd be a sports scientist type thing. Mm. Um, so he was really, really good for me. Like I say, directors, we've had a, a change. A couple of directors come in uh, this season um, and they have a really big buy-in just from an interest point of view. They're not, it's not going to affect anything. It's not going to affect deals or anything like that, but they're interested in GPS stats after a Saturday. They come straight in the office after the game and how far do you run? Because they're interested. They're fans at the end of the day as well. Um I always see it as kind of a an Instagram algorithm type thing. So we've got the data, but a manager is going to want to see certain stuff. A director is going to want to see certain stuff. Fans are going to want to see other stuff. For, yeah, the infographics at the end of the game or players are going to see certain stuff. So if we all follow the same people on Instagram, we still get a different man at the top of the screen. The first picture is still be different because our my algorithm is different to everyone else's. So as a practitioner, it's about how can you fit their algorithm type thing. So directors might want to know who run the quickest but players might want to know who run the quickest but manager want to run no no who run the furthest heat map stuff like that it's not about who's quickest it's not they're all got their own sort of ideas of what <laughs> what the leaderboard should look like um so yeah this, uh, even the other the other staff might like come back from injury they've got certain metrics that they want to see the physios the doctors stuff like that they want to see their own metrics compared to the players the owners the directors everything like that so it's quite good for me to have to adapt the information I've got to give it out. Um, so you'd always have the info. It's just what what you think they need to, they want to hear. And as different managers come in, they want to see different metrics and they've worked with different people that have done different things. So it's all, yeah, as long as you've got a couple of feathers and feathers in your hat, it's kind of which ones to pick out and show and you kind of get to know quick, pretty quickly what they want to see and what they want to do. I love that analogy, mate. That is class. The algorithm is absolutely brilliant. Um, the other thing is on that, though, was that just obvious to you from the start that different stakeholders wanted to speak about different things and things had to be presented in different ways because that's quite a I don't mean this this to sound disrespectful at all but it's quite a mature way of going about it isn't it in terms of like that that's what someone who's been in a sports science role for a number of years that's the way they probably act whereas there'd be a, a lot of people listening to this and I'm trying to think when I was 23 I would not have thought like that. <laughs> it would have just been a case of, wow, they're speaking to me. Whereas you, you've gone about it in a completely different way and thought, right, what do they want? And you've, you've given them what they want and you've, you've put it in a way that they want to see it as well. So it's a very mature way of going about it. Was, did that just seem obvious to you? Uh, a little bit. So I kind of started with, um, when the GPS come in, it was more of a, to get buy-in from players because players have worn GPS for the last, five, 10, 15 years. They've seen it, they've done it. It's a bit of a hindrance to them. It's like, oh, I've got to put my unit on, I've got to do this. It's kind of a, especially when you haven't had it the season before, it comes back and they've won, they've done it their whole whole career, some of them, the young lads, but it's just a bit of a, a niggle for them to have to go, oh, I've got to put my unit on, I've got to give it a sky. Um, so it's kind of a, right, okay, well, let's do, when we do our sprint exposure in the week, on the pre-app the following morning, let's put the scores up on telly and stuff and get a buzz around it and stuff like that and it's kind of a as soon as you do that two or three times and you start digging people out a little bit and having a bit of fun with it they start buying into it straight away because the next time you do sprint exposure they want to know it before you even got back in in from training type thing um i think directors and stuff like that we got it's quite a good club here so i'm literally opposite the manager's office directors come down before and after game say hello and yeah it's quite a nice environment to be in that way um get to chat to directors on yeah a lot throughout the week they're here every day kind of they're always around um so the more you speak to them 
you kind of get a gist of what they want anyway. So they say, even their analysis of the game. So rather than he played really well, they start going, well, he looks quick. And you think, oh, hold on, they want to see sprint scores or he looks like he run a lot or he must be tired. And like, hold on, they want to see total distance scores or high speed running or whatever it is. Yeah. Just having conversations, you kind of get a gist of, of what their interests are from a personal point of view before a performance point of view. So I lay out our GPS stats as I, I get little photos of the players up for a one-page document, kind of report after the games, put them in the formation, scores and everything. And then I do like an average. So say you ran 11K and your average over the season is 10.5. That'll go down as 102% of your average or whatever it is. And do leaderboards for speed, total distance, stuff like that. So it's kind of a, it's a one-page report of everything. Yeah, and then as the directors want to see stuff, you can kind of start taking stuff out of that report, or the manager wants to see stuff, you can start add a bit more in. The staff reports might be a bit more detailed because they want to see more metrics and access to Excel stuff like that. Um, but directors just want to see the big, the big rocks type thing. How far do they run? How quick did they do it? Yeah, maybe a heat map run in there just for just for some interest and sort of peak a new conversation. Um, I wouldn't say it come obvious, but kind of the more you do it, you kind of get just for who wants to see what and it's quite nice when you get some buy-in and they come and ask you for it you know you're doing you know you're doing half the right thing i was just about to say that when they start asking questions around it and and directing those questions a little bit more specifically rather than just oh so and so played well like you just mentioned before mm. that's a real um positive for yourself isn't it because they're obviously really valuing the work that you're doing and they're taking a lot of information on board from you yeah it's definitely that is the feeling i get it's kind of a good a good vibe around the sports line department um, I say department, it's only me, but yeah, the sports science department, um, they are asking questions. They are, they do want to know. The players want to know. I always get five texts by the time I drive back to Plymouth on a Saturday. I always get five texts saying, how far do I run? What did I do? Hang on, I'm still in the car. But yeah, there's always, there's always a buzz around it, which is, which is really good. Brilliant. Scott, a little bit of advice for the coaches. What would you say the main skill is? If you were to pick out like one key skill in your role, um, or one key attribute in your role, what would it be, do you think? I, I'm i quite a big fan of continuity. Um, so I take pride in, I've not missed a session, I've not missed a game since I've been here. Not through illness, not through being away or family or anything like that. Again, I've not missed stuff to be here, but I've not had anything come up that's affected me being here type thing. So I've been here every session, every game. Um, I've had four managers since I've been here in 15 months or whatever it is. Um, so the changeover is quite high. Five, if you include <laughs> me and a player to the last game of last season. So it's kind <laughs> of a bit, bit of a strange one. Um, and then, yeah, I've had three physios as well. So kind of being here every single day, players see the same face every single day. Players have still got to train regardless of who the physio is or who the manager is or who the coaches are. They've still got to train, they've still got to play fixtures. So that continuity of them having their routine set certain supplements in certain spots and stuff like that and every single day if they are they prepared how they normally prepare regardless of who's in the role who's doing what where we're playing how we're doing in the league anything like that players still prepare the same so yeah. essentially see support staff more than anyone else so I get more face time with the players and the manager I get more face time with the players with the coaches so continuity for me is kind of a, a big rock of can I be consistent to give them the best opportunity to go and perform and be available and give the manager as many players as he can to do his job as well? Because it all, it's all linked. Um, yeah. 
yeah, they still, yeah, like I say, they still need to train, they still need to play. So it's being there every single day, doing a proper warm up, doing it right, making sure they're ready to perform, whether that's a head tennis session on a Monday for a recovery day when there's no manager or match day minus one for a, an FA Cup round fixture. It doesn't matter. They still got to do it. So you might as well be there and do it properly. 100%. Man, that's quality. I was just about to ask you what it what it was like getting thrown in at the deep end with a first team. But just before we do that, talk to us about that game, assistant manager. Like that that's the ultimate <laughs> of being thrown in at the deep end, isn't it? Yeah. So um basically internally they'd they'd agreed the new manager come in um for this season. Um but there was one game left. So Charlie Lee was you know, a good friend of mine, was kind of taking the team. He left on the on the Wednesday and he gave me a ring saying just heads up. They might ask you and uh, you and Staunt, the skipper, to do it. Okay, I'll wait for that sort of cool type of thing. I was kind of sat at home, <laughs> oh, I stay off it. Um, and then, yeah, now as it developed, kind of last game of the season, it didn't really mean too much in terms of league table or standings or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, went up to Altrincham, which is a nice, easy away day. Um, get up there and, yeah, me and skipper took the game. He's something so far with 20 minutes to go because it's kind of yeah stand on the touch on your own going how the hell have I ended up here <laughs> um, but yeah it was good we took took um, the 18s manager up so I've been helping him out this year kind of being an assistant manager for the 18s as well kind of getting into the coaching side of it which I've really really enjoyed um, he came up and gave us a hand and it was kind of we had a young lad on the bench who'd come through our college programme um, so we stuck him on the bench for the last game of the season I thought I'd give him five minutes type thing so it's kind of nice to get get players on and yeah, enjoy it as much as I could. Um, like you say, it was it was proper defense stuff, trying to do all the sports science and GPS and get all the supplements right. Like I say, continuity while also going, I've got to pick a team here. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a strange one. But yeah, Skipper was great with me and he's still here now. We still have a laugh and joke around about it. So it was good. Brilliant. I thought you were going to say he subbed himself on and then you subbed yourself on after. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, Scott. That's class. But let's touch on that as well, though, because um, again, being in the first team environment, coming through your education off the back of like playing into the education and then being in the role you're in now, how different does it seem now that you're in it, you know it, to maybe what you expected before if you were to say, right, you're going to end up in a first team environment? Like, how different is it? I love first team football. I love coming in and being able to have a bit of banter with the lads and mess around and start dig people out, like you say, with test scores and things like that. Just have a have a laugh and joke around. Um, my academy was a bit of a, a bit of a strange one. So it was kind of like I was I'll be honest, I wasn't really in a team when I was 16, 17 either. So I never really had that academy feel, if you know what I mean. Um so then coming away and coming back into first team football, it's a step up again. Um I played men's football, like say step step five or whatever it was at the time. Um, but it's, it's a million miles away from this at the minute because we're a professional team we're full time um, like I say trying to climb up the leagues and stuff like that it might not happen last year or this year but th that's the intention um, trying to build a league level sports science department in a non-league club is essentially what my MO is um, mm. from a personal point of view I want to build a good good standard of this department which then hopefully feeds out into other stuff Um I can't, I don't know what an academy sports artist department's like. I've been in and sort of seen it and had a chat with a few people and stuff like that, but I've never done it day to day. Um, mm. But I love first team football and yeah, doing a warm up on a Saturday. I think we've got, yeah, we've got Notts Carry this week and they, they sold 
12, 13,000 tickets, whatever it is, it's kind of like, that's what I get my buzz out of. I might be clinging on to a, a childhood dream of being a footballer, but I get my buzz out of a Saturday afternoon doing a warm-up and enjoying it and seeing the lads go and perform. Class. I think there'll be a lot of people that will agree with that. And I, I'm sure you've heard me talk about it a lot, like the conversation around where coaches are suited. Academy first team, I don't think it's a natural progression to go from one to another. I fully believe that some are suited for one and some are suited for the other. And it's there's not that one is better than the other. It's just different personalities and different drivers as well, which is kind of what you've touched on there, isn't it? Like you, you're preparing for performance. You're preparing for results. Academies are, uh, is all about development. So it, it depends on you as a coach and where that where your values sit, I suppose, as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I kind of get my development kick out of helping the 18s out and stuff like that. I mean, you see stuff you've worked on in training come out in games. I get the coaches buzz off it sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so you get your development in there. And then, yeah, we train every day with the first team to get a result on Saturday. It's not, like you say, it's not development at this point. It's how do we best prepare to peak at three o'clock on Saturday afternoon and go and put on a good show and see what we can do. So and I get again my on the joy out of that. Then they, yeah, then they go on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Little beach day on the Friday, try on Sunday, yeah. try and recover. But yeah, that's what we can get into them. Yeah, perfect, Scott. That's been class. You know that we finish these with the quick fires. Yeah. Um. So we'll tackle these now. So, who've been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, I've had a couple, but no sort of sports science because I've never had like an internship or anything like that. So it's kind of a they've all been coaches for me. Um, so I first come in, was appointed by uh, Darren Sarr, like I said, used to be at, at Watford, he's now at Woking. Uh, his assistant was Terry Skiverton, um, who's now assistant manager at Wimbledon. So they kind of, yeah, those two have been around the block. They had conversations with sports scientists. Like, they were very good at setting out a stall for go and do what you want, but if it's wrong, we'll tell you. And it was kind yeah. of a, a good schooling for me in that way. Um, after that, Charlie Lee, like I mentioned earlier, he come in. I think he's now, yeah, he's now late in Orient in the academy um he was kind of a he got i had a free reign he said if you want to design new drills and sessions and stuff that you kind of not reserved to do under different managers or anything like that but he knew he was here for a certain amount of time he said try it and if it doesn't work it doesn't work it doesn't really matter we're not gonna at the point in time he come in we weren't gonna make the playoffs we weren't gonna get relegated so kind of we got free reign to kind of especially monday tuesday if you've got saturday saturday monday tuesday you can kind of Thursday, Friday is obviously the big days and you prep properly. But if you can try something on a Monday and try it and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. At least you know. Yeah. So it was kind of a good bank canvas for me with him. Um, the only other one I'd say was <laughs> my PE teacher was my um, biggest influence growing up sort of thing in terms of the sporting aspect. Um, and his brother was actually my, my uh, academy coach at Argyle. So that was kind of the link. So it was kind of, he was helping me out day to day in school, in the gym and stuff like that. And kind of being that influence outside of football, still focused towards football, if that makes sense. Um, and then when I left Argyle, he was managing uh, Saltash at the time, step six, I think it was. So as soon as I left, he got me in there playing first team football regularly. And at 16, playing a men's game at step five, it was kind of a step five, six, whatever it was. Like I say, it was kind of a, oh, okay, this is what, this is what football's <laughs> about type of thing. It was kind of, um, I still chat to him now quite a lot. Kind of, I was what six, seven years ago now, but I kind of speak to him quite a lot still. He was at um, Parkway last year when he got promoted, so I went in there and helped them out a little bit with their GPS and stuff. I think Regan Miles was there; he's now at Torquay, so kind of a good link there as well. Um, he's now at Helston. Yeah, he still still talks to him weekly, like I say. So it's kind of a good. He was a 
mad on his fitness from a personal point of view. He's like a PE teacher, so I saw him three, four times a week anyway. I saw his brother every other night, so it's kind of a, a good link. And he was, yeah, he was a really good influence for me. But yeah, they're all coaches and, and managers, really, not really any sports science as yet, because I've not, I've not worked for anyone as an internship or anything like that. No, that's really interesting, that. Um, Scott, what would you say your biggest skill is as a practitioner? Well, continuity, like I said. I think kind of having a personal relationship with the players as well. Um, so I lived with a couple of them last year, kind of keeping on the sofa type thing, kind of say commute a little bit. Um, doing a little bit this year as well. The club has been brilliant with that. Um, so it's kind of knowing the players, sharing a lift home, whether it's going to see my missus in Oxford, a couple of them live in Oxford, we'll share lifts up and back and stuff like that. So you get to know them as people as well. Mm. And again, that then links into performance. While we're still looking for results, you understand why performance might be lower or they're coming in fatigue or they've just had a baby or whatever it might be. They're human beings, they've got a life at the end of the day. Just kind of understanding that side of it and being a bit more personable. They might not agree, but I think I think they're quite good at it. <laughs> Brilliant. I always, I feel bad asking this one because you're only 23, but um, I always ask about giving advice to your younger self. But if you were to go back before you landed the role at Yeovil, is there anything that you'd sort of advise yourself on? Any key bits of um, advice you'd give? Just let it happen. So don't try and force stuff. Don't try and force drills. Or if it's not working, you can go, well, that didn't work. We'll change it. There's yeah. no kind of guarantee that you have to go into the role first time and it has to be perfect and you're never going to have disagreements and you're never going to have people telling you or because play, players are quite good at feedback as you all know. If it's if they're not going how you expect it to go, they'll, they'll let you know. But it's kind yeah. of a, just let it happen. If it's not going the way you wanted it or the way you planned it or the way you were thinking about it on the drive in when you were kind of coming up with a drill, that's fine. It doesn't matter. There's, if you're there every single day and you've got continuity and you go again tomorrow and you go again the next day and you still prep properly, you can have a couple of ones that don't go your way early on and it's not gonna you're not gonna get a knock on the manager's office after two weeks saying oh you're gonna have to go mate it's a it's a process and i kind of enjoy building and building and building but yeah the first two weeks don't go away it's not the end of the world that feedback from players is not always going to be the most uh analytical and thought out <laughs> is it either it's gonna not be at pretty, all now. it's gonna be pretty to the point a lot of the time isn't it yeah but if you give it them back they kind of they kind of yeah they yeah. appreciate that as well. I think I think the lads around them appreciate that as well. It's kind of yeah, like I said, getting relationships and understanding them, knowing when you can give them a little bit of a, a jibe as well. It's, yeah, it's a good skill to have. Brilliant. Final one, mate. What is your approach to CPD? How do you go about continually developing? Which is, will be interesting to hear your thoughts because of being at a club um, in a department by yourself, not being surrounded by people, which is obviously a lot of what a lot of people have spoke about and have asked this question is learning from other sports scientists at the club, um, but also being being so young and and constantly looking for that development as well. So, what's your approach to that podcast? <laughs> so, yeah, an hour and a half commute every day in and out. Um, it's a good it's a good time to get a couple of podcasts in. Um, Listen, like you say, I've listened to a few of yours. I kind of knew these questions are coming at the end as well. So, <laughs> um, I've been to a couple of the, the Federation days. So, kind of, I went to the Oxford one. I've been to Bristol City. Um, you kind of get to know people. My main one is when we get loan players in, I'm straight on getting hold of their departments. So, whatever club they're coming from, what have they done for the last couple of weeks? What's their loading program like? What do you do with them after games? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Kind of keep asking the same questions to as many clubs as possible. 
Um, and we're in a position where we get quite a lot of loan players in. So I've had quite a lot of conversations with quite a lot of clubs, mm. um, which is a good way for me. We had a couple of interns last year that I used. There's no... The closest university was is Bath, which is just over an hour away. Um, so we can't go down the road and get interns in every other week. Um, so when you do get them in, I had sort of like a coffee club on a Thursday type of thing. So anything that was coming up in the week, practically, for them, it kind of not set the homework type thing, but go away and what, what can you find out about this? And then not report it to me, but can we have a conversation about it over a coffee on a Thursday morning or on the bus on the way to the game or whatever? Yeah. Because they've got more time than me to go and find research and kind of back stuff up and stuff like that. And it's a good way for them to use research in a practical way as well. Um, kind of had a little coffee club going on, which was helpful for me and helpful for them. Um, I think it was helpful for them as far as I'm aware. Really helpful for me, kind of getting the research around it and backing stuff up and having conversations that you would get at university, which you might not get if you're on your own and you've not got other sports scientists around you. Mm. Brilliant, Scott. That has been super, mate. Thanks for coming on. Um, just wrap us up with where you send people. If people have got questions or they want to reach out just for a chat, they want to create their own little coffee club, mate, where would you direct them? Uh, Twitter's probably the best one. Um, just Scott Wickens. I think it's underscore Scott Wickens, underscore something like that. Something I made up yeah, five, six years ago. Um, Instagram, yeah, Scott Wickens again. LinkedIn, all, all the normal places, social media. Um yeah, that's where I find everyone else. So it seems to work. So yeah, that's probably the best place to get me. Brilliant. Scott, thanks a lot for your time. It's fine. Thank you, Matt. Scott, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you giving up your time and coming on. A big thank you to everybody for listening to the episode as well. Please, as always, give it a share. It really does help grow the show and grow the audience and gets this message out to as many people as possible. There's some great conversations that we've had on the podcast and I'm really keen to get them shared to as many coaches as possible and that comes down to you sharing the show. So please, once you've listened, give it a share over on your social media, send it out to any um, any colleagues, any peers that you think would benefit from the episode as well. I really would appreciate it. Also, go and give Scott, Scott a follow. He's over on Twitter at underscore Scott Wickens underscore and also over on Instagram, Scott Wickens. He's also on LinkedIn. Just search his name over on LinkedIn. And in terms of takeaways, I always like to discuss these at the end of the podcast. He spoke about the main target when he was going in of improving availability, which is something that obviously a lot of people will be able to relate to. That was that then led to him knowing what the big rocks had to be, introducing GPS and some strength training to the players and essentially getting that as a result, that more players were available, less injuries. Um, that, that there's a lot of lessons within that in terms of knowing what we're setting out for in the first place, like actually stepping back and thinking, right, what things am I going to put in place and why am I putting them in place as well? He also spoke about looking after the squad as a whole, so when players haven't had their minutes, making sure that the work is getting into them because it's not a case of just giving them the time off and not putting them through runs and stuff because essentially we're doing them a disservice. We're not, we're not preparing them for essentially if they're going to be called into the next game, they're not going to be ready. And just on that as well, I love the way that you frame that the unused players or players with low minutes on match days, it wasn't actually a match day. It's more of a training day. So that's how... That can be 
spoke about in regards to um, extra running or any sort of strength training that's going to be implemented on that day as well because it's a training day, not a match day if you're not played as many minutes. And I think the biggest one for me was, and I spoke to Scott when we stopped recording on this, is the Instagram algorithm of how we're communicating with the different stakeholders at the club that everyone can sort of follow the, the, the same people but the actual message that we got and the, the posts we see and how we're communicated to are very different. And that's essentially how you've got to adapt as a practitioner, speaking to different people and presenting different stats and bits of data to different people at, at different roles within the clubs as well. So I thought that was absolutely brilliant, a great way of putting it. And um, yeah, I think Scott's covered some superb stuff in this episode as well. So I hope you took plenty from it. So yeah, please give the show a share and a huge thank you again for listening. Keep an eye out for some events that we've got coming very soon in 2023. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 214.